Well, good morning. Well, that was weak. I'm old. You should, you're a lot younger. Let's give that another run at it. Good morning. Oh, that's better. I feel encouraged. My name is Jamie Mitchell. It's been my joy to be here a couple of times, and uh, it's always a good thing to be here at Fellowship. And uh, in light of that song, Psalm 27 says this, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. That is a good word for us because we live in a land of violence and upheaval, and it is good to know that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, if you would, take your Bible and, uh, and hold your Bible up. Okay, that's not to make you feel bad. Yes, it is. Absolutely. <laughs> so I have this thing. I've been, I speak around a lot, and um, uh, my wife and I, we walk into churches, and, and um, you're going to think me terrible. But I look around and I watch when I visit a church how many people carry their Bible. Because that tells me something about that church. That there is not an expectation that we're coming to work on Sunday morning. Let that sink in. We come to church to meet with the living God and to do work. This may be a day of rest, but it is not a day of resting. We open God's word to hear from him because we believe he has something to say to us. And the only way that we can hear from God is through his word and his spirit working within his word. And I think, this is just, this is extra. I, I, you don't have to pay me for this, man. This is all extra. There is an emotional connection that believers need to make with the actual copy of God's word. God is spirit. We, we cannot see God. We sense him. We see his power. We see evidence. But our only actual visible, physical experience with God is holding his Bible. God wrote a book. And, um, and so I'm on this kick. I'm on, the, I'm, I'm on a one-man mission. And that is to stop the phone and iPad nonsense of the Bible and get people to actually bring their copy of God's Word into church with them because they need to emotionally connect with this word and understand that not only men and women of God gave their life so we can hold this book, but God by his Holy Spirit penned every word. And so we come to church every Sunday to hear from him, not me, I have nothing to say, I'm useless. But if we are using this book it can change our lives. Do you believe that? Amen. Father in heaven, we come to this sacred table again to hear from you because we need to hear from you. We are desperate people. And we want to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And we want to hear from you today. God, use your word to make a difference in people's lives today. 
we commit these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So my wife, Chris, is not with me today, and that is because she is with this little person in Indianapolis. Yes. I have a granddaughter now. Do you see the change in me? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a grandfather. And little Charlotte is there. And, and grandparent, getting a grandchild, it changes you. I mean, you do some of the stupidest things in the whole world as a, grandchild, as a grandparent. You can pop some of those pictures up with ever doing it. You know, oh, look at this. I mean, look at this kid. But I mean, he, she even makes you do crazy things, you know, like put on ears at Easter time. Who would do that? You know, it's interesting about parenting, grandparenting, because you, um, you, 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 you know, get so excited about their birth. You're waiting for that very first word. You know, when they eat real food, you're waiting them to say Papa. I mean, I, 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 I bribed Charlotte to say Papa. She didn't get it. But the other big thing about being a parent and being a grandparent is the day they walk. They start with a little commando crawl, and then, then they use a table, and they rest themselves up there. And then the day when they start walking, you know, we start taking pictures, we FaceTime, we post it on Facebook, my grandchild walked today, like at some major event. And probably next to the, them, them even coming into the world, the day they begin to walk, that's big. That is huge. Now, the Christian life starts with coming to faith in Christ. That unbelievable moment that, that when we experience saving grace and we go from death to life and we have that transformative moment. But then following our new birth, the next really major event is learning to walk. It's learning to walk. It's that after that initial conversion, our daily walk. Now, defining a walk of God is that, that idea of the behavior and commitment that once we come to know Christ, the changes that take place, our daily fellowship and dependence on him. It's that, it's that movement, that step-by-step movement as we start moving towards the place of becoming like Christ in the way we live and act and speak and and it's that journey. That's why it's called a walk. It's a journey. From the moment I encountered Jesus Christ to the moment I see his face in heaven and then enjoy him for all eternity. Walking is an important thing when it comes to our life in Christ. And the Bible is, is just riddled with the word walk. Did, did you know that, that the Bible uses the word walk 188 times in 184 verses? Let me give you a couple this morning as we start to understand. Look, look at, uh, I, have the, I have them in your notes, you, and I'll put them up here on the screen so that way you don't uh, rustle. But, but in, in, in Romans chapter 6, we use this a lot of time at baptisms. We were buried, therefore, with him in the baptism of death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, we too might walk in the newness of life. Walk in the newness of life, the transformative work. We've been brought from death to life, and now we, we can walk because of Christ. Romans 8, for God has done what the law, weak by flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. He condemned 
sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness requirement of law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but the Spirit. We no longer walk in the, in the flesh, but we walk by the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, we walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 10, I beg you that when I am present, I may not be slow, show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who are suspect of us, walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Look, we walk in the flesh. Our flesh is susceptible to fleshly things. But now we can walk in the Spirit. We can do war as we walk. Ephesians 4, Therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, which you've been called. There's an expectation, there's an intentionality of our walk. Ephesians also tells us this, Paul writes, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Our walk is a walk of love, a love for Christ, a love for others. Our walk is just emanates with the love of God. Ephesians 5, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of the light, not just as love, but in light we're to walk. Our walk is to, to, to reflect the holiness and the light of the Lord. Ephesians 5 tells us that we're to walk as wise people. It's a wisdom walk. Colossians 1 tells us to walk in the manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in knowledge. That walk pleases God, bears fruit, and increases in knowledge. It's a progressive walk. It's, it's getting bigger, growing, expanding, impacting. Who are we impacting? Well, Colossians 4 tells us that we're to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Look, outsiders notice our walk. Before they even hear a word, they see our life. That's why it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, the same thing, aspire to live quietly, mind your own business. I like that. I'm from New York. I like that. That's a, that's a New Yorker must have wrote that. <laughs> Work with your hands as we've instructed you, so that you walk properly before outsiders. How we work in our job how we conduct ourselves, how we interact with people. That is the walk, and that walk affects those who are watching us. And 1 John, it's his word who does it. Whoever keeps his word is truly love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever abides in him ought to walk in the same way. Our abiding is in the word of God. That's why this is so important. We abide with God as we're in his word. We follow his commandments. That's the mark. Even Jesus spoke about the walk. It's interesting what he said. Both in John 8, he said again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. He wants us walking in the light. He said the exact same thing in John 12. He said, light is among you for a little while. Walk while you have light, lest the darkness overtake you. This, 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 this issue of darkness and light affecting our walk, and we're to walk in the light. And not only the New Testament, but we jump over to the Old Testament. 
Zechariah 10 says that we're to walk in his name. Micah 6 tells us we are to walk humbly with our God. Ezekiel 36 says we are to walk in the statutes of God. Jeremiah 26 says that we are to walk in the law of God that has been set before us. Deuteronomy 6 says we're to teach our children how by walking in the way and showing them how to walk in the way. We got a lot of young families here and their babies popping out everywhere. I'm a doctor, but I'm not that kind of doctor. You know what I'm saying? But I want to tell you, the greatest thing I can tell you right now, parenting tip is this, walk before the Lord. In 1 Kings 3, it says that if you will walk in my ways, he ends it by saying this, I'll lengthen your life. We're all trying to live longer, right? I mean, we eat certain things, we go to the gym, we... We want to live longer. God gave us the answer. Walk in his ways. You'll live longer. Now, you won't live a day more than God wants you to live. But I take this for I'm serious about this. I got a grandchild. I want to live a little longer. And then Psalms 86. Teaching me your ways, O God, that I may walk in your truth. You get the picture? Walk is an important thing. And walking with God is important. We need to walk with God. And we need a model of the way to walk. I want to, I want to introduce you to a character in the Bible. You're saying to yourself, you mean all those verses wasn't your message? There's more? Oh, yes, there's more. I want to introduce you to a person by the name of Enoch. I don't know if you've ever heard a message on this. It's the first time I've ever done a message on Enoch, other than mentioning his name at different times. But Enoch is an interesting character, because the, the only description about him in the Bible, the only fanfare he gets is simply this. He walked with God. That was it. That was his entire resume. He walked with God. And then he was no more. Then he just was taken out. He was gone. But that's what he's remembered by. He walked with God. Very simple headstone. If he, was, if he ever died and buried, he, he, he was never buried here. He was translated right into heaven. We'll talk about that. But if he did die and was buried, his headstone was this. Enoch walked with God. End of story. Well, let's understand him a little bit. To understand him, we got to understand when he lived and, and where he lived. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 5. That will be a help to you. Genesis 5. In Genesis 5, we see a description of Adam's line. In, 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 in verse 3, it says, When Adam was a, lived 130 years, he fathered his son in his own likeness after his image, and he named him Seth. And then throughout chapter 5, verse after verse after verse, we have this unfolding genealogy. Verse 6, Seth lived 105 years, and he fathered Enosh. Enosh lived, in verse 9, Enosh lived 90 years, and he fathered Kenan. And Kenan lived 70 years, and he fathered Mahali. And Mahali lived 65 years, and he fathered Jared. And then finally, verse 19, Jared lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. So Enoch was the seventh generation after Adam. 
Another important note is he is the great-grandfather to Noah. Noah, which was the 10th generation. And there are only five passages in the entire Bible that bear his name. And two of them are genealogies. Now, that's, a, that's as boring as toast, but they're in there, and it is important to notice there. In 1 Chronicles 1, talking about Abraham's line, Enoch is mentioned in that text in verse 3. And in Luke 3, he's a part of the genealogy of Jesus. And so he has some royalty in his line, Jewish royalty with Abraham, and obviously the messianic line with Jesus. There's a third passage in the book of Jude. Now, Jew Jewish tradition tells us that there was a prophetic word of what Jesus would do to the false teachers someday, bringing a legion of angels. And that prophecy is attributed to Enoch. And we'll discuss that a little bit later, but it says it was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, they described that because probably Enoch was a, 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 tr a traditional name, he prophesied, saying this, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 angels of his holy ones, and it's in the context of dealing with false teachers and false prophets. So God gave Enoch some prophetic word when he was on this earth about something that would happen thousands of years later in regards to dealing with false teachers. But the two main passages I want to look at this morning is in Genesis 5 and Hebrews 11, because that's where we really understand this person. Look at Genesis 5, 21 through 24. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. After he had fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters, Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. We're happy to get through 365 days. There it is again. Enoch walked with God. And then he was not. For God took him. Now, uh, compare that to, if you would, put your finger there and flip over to Hebrews 11, the, the hall of faith. The Hall of Faith. We, we know this as the, the chapter that describes all great people of faith. Uh, Hebrews 11 begins this way, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what we have seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, though which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And, throughout, uh, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch, there he is, our boy, was taken up so that he would not have seen death and was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. For without faith, it is impossible to please him. Forever would draw near to God, 
must believe he exists and that he rewards those to seek him. From this little obscured life of Enoch, there are six things in those two texts, the Genesis text and the Hebrews text, that we can surface today to help us. We already know that walking with God is important. But what is it about Enoch's life that can give us indication? My guess, if you're here today, you want to walk with God. I would hope that. So so what is it that we need? There's six things. Let me give them to you quickly. The first is this. A significant moment. A significant moment. As you consider Enoch's life, like most Old Testament saints, they lived a long time. a matter of fact, Genesis 5 tells us that he lived 65 years and then became a father. Now, it's obvious those who lived closer to Adam lived longer primarily because the effects and consequence of sin had not started to really diminish the span of life. But nevertheless, he was just getting started as a dad when the rest of us are getting our ARP card and looking for the perfect frozen yogurt. You'll get that when you get older. You'll understand that. I, I do that now. So it also says something interesting. It says that Enoch walked with God after he had fathered Methuselah. Now Moses, by being led by the Spirit, notes that it was after he became a dad there seemed to be this significant change that Enoch began to walk with God. Decades had passed, and finally he begins this walk with God because something significant had happened in a moment. You can understand this. That the reality of parental parenting. Look, I remember the day I held my son. We adopted Alex. We, 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 we tried to have kids. We had a number of miscarriages, and then we were told we couldn't. And so I sent a letter to 50 friends of mine across the country, all pastors, and I said, hey, I need a kid. Kind of a novel way to become a parent, I know. And I'm walking in Chicago, and one of my friends comes up to me and goes, hey, I got a kid for you. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 I'm not kidding you. I was on the train today, and... I was on the train today, and some other pastor friend of mine told me there's a 15-year-old girl in his church, and she's pregnant, and she came into the pastor's office and said, I want to give this child to a pastor and his wife, and you're it. I said, wow, he's a stork. He delivered. I didn't tell my wife. Five days I was on the phone. That was in the days when you had to use quarters to make phone calls. So I, had, I was on the phone, lined the whole thing up. When I got home on Friday, I said, honey, we're going to have a kid. She says, shouldn't I be telling you that? No, 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 we're going to have a kid. And so three months later, we got Alex. He had, my wife and he had to stay in Illinois because of the paperwork. I didn't get to see Alex for four weeks. But I can remember the Red Roof Inn in Schaumburg, Illinois, when I first held my son. And I went, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? Can we give him back? Because sheer panic came in my heart as I looked at him and I thought, uh, 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 I'm responsible for him. 
I have a little sense of what Enoch felt. Because look what it says there. It says when he had Methuselah, he began to walk with God. Something happened in his life. One commentator wrote this, that after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God. It seems that Enoch began to walk with God in a special way after the birth. The name Methuselah means when he is dead, it shall come. The birth of Methuselah, Enoch had a special awareness that God's judgment was coming, and this is one thing that got him closer with his walk with God. Makes complete sense. Over the years, my personal walk and helping others discover their walk with God, some significant moment takes place and catapults us from just being around God and having an interest in God and saying to myself, it's time to get serious here. So what kind of experiences might you have been going through that would get you serious? Well, a loss of a parent could do it. The starting of a career or a loss of a career. A financial trouble of some kind. Maybe health concerns, physical concerns. How about just a crisis of faith? You know God, you love God, and you have a crisis of faith. Some doubts, fears, some deep theological questions. You grapple with it, and then all of a sudden you say, okay, I'm, I'm ready to get serious about God. There's sometimes even a troubled child, a prodigal that goes, and you say to yourself, man, the only way to get him back is i got to start to touch the hem of God's garment to try to bring my kid back. I don't know what that significant moment for you. For me, it was the summer of 1979. I had a buddy named Tony Lamonaco. He was the second baseman on our church softball team. And on a Saturday morning in 79, I get a phone call that that morning, a drunk driver hit Tony sideways, and he was in the hospital. That Monday night, I was able to go to Amityville Hospital on Long Island and go up, and I saw his wife Sharon, his little son Anthony, and I went in his room and I saw my friend, tubes and all, in a coma. And as I walked out and I walked to my car, I broke down because I said this, you know, I'm a believer, but I'm playing around with God. And I could have been the one to hit this guy because many a times I was drunk driving. And I broke down in that parking lot and I said, enough is enough. And it broke me. I don't know what that significant moment is. Maybe it's just this morning. But we need those significant moments. There's a second thing. It's the same direction. In Enoch's life, it's interesting, his walk was in the direction of that. The the, the, the interesting thing about his walk is the walk was the direction of his walk. And it just states this in verse 22 of, of Genesis 5. He walked with God. Let's not run past those words. With God. Hey, Enoch, where are you going? Wherever God is going. Whatever God wants. The level of his relationship was such, he said, wherever he wants me to go, I go. Whatever he wants me to do, I'll do. Whatever he wants me to say, I'll say. Spurgeon wrote this, if men walk contrary to God, he will not walk with them. But contrary to them, walking together implies amity, amity, friendship, 
intimacy, love. These cannot exist between God and the soul unless a man is acceptable before God. That's what the walk of God is. We walk with God. Where he goes, we go. And Enoch walked because he was going wherever God went. He was in tune with God. He was hearing from God. He was listening to God. He had a sense of where God was taking him. So how do we find God's direction? I'll make this very practical for you. You, want, you may want to write this down. It's all S's. I love, I love alliteration. I, I wake up in the middle of the night alliterating things. So how do you get going in God's direction? The first is the scriptures. You want to hear from God? Open his word. You want to hear from God? Come ready to hear from God. He has spoken. He wrote a book. He's told us. He's revealed everything to us. It's right here. You want to know God's direction? Here it is. There is no no, no mystery to this. Secondly, his spirit. Look, we, we are indwelled by his spirit, but then we are filled by his spirit. We need to learn what the prompting of the spirit is. We need to, to understand and sense those urges, those nudges. We need to be in step with the spirit. Thirdly, supplication. When we cry out to God. When we pray. When we seriously pray. And we get others to pray for us. I want to know God's direction. Would you pray for me? And the saints of God. That's why we have fellowship. That's why we get around with each other. While we're in small, do you have small groups here? Okay, okay, speaking out of turn. Uh, If not, uh, we're starting a small group ministry today. Uh, uh, I get around other believers, not just so that I can get counsel from them, because I hear their stories, and and here's interesting, somebody else's story will be your story sooner or later. And so I learn from the saints of God. And then situations, certain doors open, certain doors close, certain catastrophes happen, certain victories happen. When those situations happen, they're never in a vacuum. God is at work because he's sovereign. And so when I'm sensing and watching and seeing every situation with God's eyes, I'm getting in his direction. And then final thing, I left it last because we don't like to talk about that, suffering. Suffering. Some of my greatest directional moments have been in my greatest pain. Greatest pain. Because God uses suffering. Count it all joy, my brethren, when trials come of various kinds. Why? Because it's directing us. It's showing us. Enoch walked with God because he was in tune with God's direction. Third thing. A significant moment, a same direction, a sustained effort. Genesis tells us that Enoch, getting hot up here. No, it's okay. It's all right. It's all right. No, 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 no. It's all right. It's not like Elijah's mantle. It's okay. It's all right. <laughs> Genesis tells us that Enoch walked with God for three hundred years. He became a father and he lived till his two, uh, 365 years. Now it's unusual for someone to live that long. Five times his age, the normal. Now see, let me put it in perspective this way. If you come to faith at 10 years old and you walk with God 50 years, 
it's as long as a direction that Enoch went. And so that long, faithful walk in the same direction. And to make that happen, the two words that describe this best is the word faithfulness and endurance. He was faithful. He was loyal to the Lord. He didn't waver. He was consistent, but he was also enduring. He hung in. He kept going. Did he struggle? Probably. I, I would Absolutely. Did they have trials? Sure he did. He was a parent. Were there times of doubt? He was depraved like the rest of us. He wasn't perfect. And no perfect man or woman except for Jesus. And all we're, all we're called to do is to be faithful and endure. And what's fascinating in the pages of Scripture describes Enoch is that his life was not filled with adventure and victories and miraculous undertakings and dangerous journeys and amazing enterprises. What he's known for is simply this. He walked with God. Again, Spurgeon, who has done some interesting things with Enoch, says this, Enoch's life has no adventures. It is not adventure enough for man to walk with God? What ambition can crave a nobler existence than abiding fellowship with the eternal? I, I turned 63 this summer. It's hard to believe. But I am old. And the older I get, the simpler I want my life to be. I am no longer enthralled or enamored with grand accomplishments. I just, I just want to be personally faithful to the Lord. I appreciate people who are doing major commitment, uh, major contributions, kingdom building, but there is just something refreshing and inspiring about a quiet, reverend saint of God living out their everyday life in faithfulness and endurance. And whatever life throws them, they just hang in there. That's the true mark of someone who walks with God. And it's worth noting at this point that Enoch's life comes to completion, and he doesn't die. Basically says he, 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 he was no longer. He was one of the two people in the Bible who didn't die. God just took him. But I think it's appropriate. Because the guy who's known for walking with God, that walk didn't end. It just, it just changed locations. He, he was walking with God, and then he was with God. <laughs> but that's how we all should live. That I just want to walk with God, and then the lights turn out, and the lights come back on, and I'm with God. Faithfully enduring till I get to heaven. A significant event. Same direction, sustained effort. Fourth thing, a surrendering of self. Now look at the Hebrews passage, if you would. We'll just take our last couple points from there because it says this about Enoch, that his life had one objective, please God. The writer of Hebrews in this chapter, he focuses on faith and he makes it clear that it's impossible to live by faith without pleasing God. Pleasing God means obeying, trusting, relying on the core of pleasing God is a direction of abandoning our desires and our wishes and our wants and our will to what he wants. 
As verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So to truly please God means that you got to surrender your will and what you want and your desires and to hand that over to the Lordship of Christ. Now just consider the text here. It says, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. He walked with God, meant he pleased God, which meant he said, it doesn't matter what pleases me, I just want to please God. My strength, my resources, my ideas, my wants, my plans, my conditions, my expectations, I vacate those things. Because by faith, I want to trust God, live under his lordship, and I want to please him. And only under the control of the Holy Spirit does this happen. So practically, that means that you will trust God with your finances. For some of you who are not married, you will trust God with your mate. For you who have children or are going to have children, you will trust God with your children. You'll hand your kids over to them. said, you gave them to me. I want to be a good steward. But God, they're your kids. Do with them what you want. You'll do that with your career. You'll do that with ministry opportunities. Listen, we live in a day where being a Christian is not a popular thing, and so we're going to have to trust God by faith and step up and stand up and speak up for the things of God. And it may cost us, but we will do it because that pleases God. And when persecution comes, we'll be forced to make the choice, will I please God or please self? And pleasing God means surrendering my will. And the fifth thing, two more and then I'm done, a seeking after God. We get this from Verse 6 in Hebrews 11, without faith it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God, there's the word. That's the secret there. It seems like Enoch had a hunger to draw near to God. A walk with God is one that hungers and thirsts after God. A walk with God craves to be with the Lord and with those who love him. A walk with God is an ignited worship. It's passionate prayer. A walk with God is someone who can't get enough of his word. A walk with God desires to see God show up in difficult situations and do miraculous things. A walk with God is someone who is not settled with an ordinary existence that can be explained by human understanding but longs to see God manifest his presence in their life, so much so that you can say, I have seen the glory of of God show up. And the man and woman of God who seeks after God has a walk that's much like a heat-seeking missile. It locks onto the target, and it's not going to be set off course, and it's not going to be enough until I hear from God, see God, experience God, taste of God. When you listen and read about the great saints of God who faced the impossible, 
They would lock themselves in basements. They would pray until an answer came. They, they just kept seeking after God, seeking after God. There was an intentionality and there was a priority change. People will know you by your calendar and your schedule and what's really important to you. This is a good word for September. It's around the corner. It's this week. September's here. Kids are going back to school. When I was a pastor for all those years, September was the start of the ministry year. It was a new and a fresh start. Man, you're having a little party here. I'm going to show up on that September the 11th. You know that's Grandparents' Day too, Matt. I'll have a little Grandparents' Day celebration. But it's good to start off. And you know what it's good to do? Pull my calendar out. And take a look at all the things, the sports my kids are involved in, and this I'm involved in, and that. Gee whiz, I wonder if I have time to seek after God. It's time to get the eraser out or the delete button and clear our schedules and put time in for God because we will never have a walk if we don't seek after Him. Final thing is a sober view of eternity. A sober view of eternity. Enoch walked looking ahead. He saw judgment coming. That, that, that prophetic word in Jude, it, it's, it, it's a part of an extra-biblical document called the Book of Enoch. It was Jewish tradition, Jewish history, and, and it's all part of it. It wasn't the canon of Scripture, but it was obviously referenced to, and and, and Jude referenced to it. I mean, the half-brother of Jesus who wrote the book of Jude, he referenced to the book of Enoch and said, Enoch, this patriarch in our faith, God spoke to him and said, there is coming a day when the legion of angels is coming with the Lord and he's going to do business with the false teachers. Judgment is coming. But we also know from the Hebrews passage that it says those who walk with God must believe he exists and that he will reward those who seek him. So Enoch had an interesting experience. He knew judgment was coming and he knew reward is coming. So he had a clear understanding of eternity and the things that were coming in the future. Yes, God is going to bring a hand of judgment in the world, but we who know Christ are going to experience reward. It's payday. But it's in that balance of knowing that there's some who are going to suffer if I don't walk and live in a certain way that I can reach more people for Christ so they can experience the reward that is coming. That's what we got to live for. That's why we walk. So we can take many and snatch them out of judgment hand and let them experience the reward of God. And Enoch had that perspective of saying there is an eternity, there is something coming in the future. I don't know what it is, but I want to walk with God so that I can experience that reward and I want to live in such a way that I can avert many from experiencing that judgment. It begins to shape and define our walk. Enoch lived an intentional, eternal perspective life. That's why he walked with God. And the Bible says, 
After 365 years? He was not. He still existed, but he existed in eternity with the Lord, the one he had walked with for 300 years. But he was no longer here. Only his testimony. So the issue is, so what? So what do we do with this? The worship team can come. I think we're going to sing one more song. So, so here's your so what. A couple of things. Number one, can you identify your moment? You know your moment. You know that moment when you came to say, I need to get serious about my walk with God? How are you doing with the things to know the direction of God? Are, you, are, you, are your life filled with the things that help with you understanding the direction God wants you to go? Does faithfulness and endurance mark your life? I want to hang tough. I want to be faithful. Have you surrendered your will? Say, God, not my will. Your will be done. That, that's what means a walk. Have you prioritized your life in such a way that you've ordered your life so that if people looked at your calendar and looked at your your outlook page, they would say, ooh, this is a person who walks with God. Look, look at the things that they're doing and things that they're not doing. I'm not judging it. you got to do that for yourself. And do you have a perspective of eternity? For us who know the Lord, reward is coming. It's going to be hell here on earth, but heaven is coming. Amen? But there are people who think they're living in heaven now, and what they don't realize is hell is coming. What we do is we walk. We walk in a way that they see our lives and they say, I want what they got. I want what they got.